in the first couple of verses there. Jesus is engaged with a group of people called the Pharisees. If you're new to church and you're not real familiar with that name, no worries. It was a group of very important people. And they knew all of the right answers, and they, for the most part, lived all of the right answers, too. You might think of somebody in your life who you know who's like sort of very moral, very upright. You go to them, they know all the answers, they know all the right ways to live, and they're pretty good about, about living that way. That's these guys, that's these Pharisees. And, and they, in verse um, 1, it says they, they grumbled together about Jesus, an issue with Jesus. It says in verse 2, if you're looking at uh, your Bibles there, Luke chapter 15, if you're using the Pew Bible here, it's uh, 874, uh, page 874. They uh, say this is the issue that they're having. They say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. He receives sinners, which is bad, and he eats with them, which is worse. Because you can be nice to anyone, right? I mean, you, you can be nice to anyone, and that's fine. But to sit down at a table... And to engage with someone, to talk with them, to hear their stories, to actually listen to their stories. That's something altogether different. And these Pharisees, they're, they're complaining. This word grumble means also to complain. They're complaining to one another that he is like this, that Jesus is spending his time like this. And this really hit me hard this week because I was a Pharisee this week. I have a lot of grievances, and um, I just really wanted to air them this week. There's so many people wrong out there. I felt that keenly, and I really wanted to tell everyone why they were wrong. So I was a Pharisee this week. I really wrestled with that, and I just, man, I felt the burden of it. And so it's this kind of weird wrestling match I had inside myself, like, why are you being like this like this is a terrible attitude to be having in fact jesus doesn't seem to look very positively upon upon them i think there's another layer of this as well it's not just because when i imagine if you've been in church for any long length of time you probably know the word pharisee and you have in your mind what pharisees were like and you know that in the stories the pharisees are are they good guys or bad guys bad guys right they're the villains and so we look at them and they say well those pharisees you know As soon as you make someone a villain, though, it makes it really hard to recognize yourself in that character. And I think these guys are not just complaining because they're kind of scandalized that Jesus is hanging out with these kinds of people. I think they're also a little bit jealous. Like, Jesus is this guy who's this this amazing teacher, and he's healing, and he's doing all of this incredible work, and they're looking at where he's investing his time. Where is he going and what is he doing? And they're wondering, Jesus, why are you not hanging out with us? Like, we believe what you believe. We think what you think. We do what you do. And you're spending all of your time with people who don't. Why? Why? And so Jesus then, he engages them, knowing their hearts and Sensing their displeasure, he tells them three stories to illustrate precisely this point, to answer that question. Why am I doing this? So before I, and what we're going to do now is I'm going to retell those stories, each, each three of them, each three of them, each one of them, all three of them. But before I do that, Laura and Emery and Paul 
are going to come up and they're going to do a little special for us. There is a lullaby that we sang to Emery and we sing to Esri that is these stories, sort of retells this story in sort of a lullaby. And so, uh, and so they're going to they're gonna do that for us. What you let that ugly bearded guy up there for? <laughs> so there once um, was a little girl, and she had a lot of pets. Uh, she had cat, and she had a dog, and she had, and she, in fact, she, she loved pets so much she had little fake 
little stuffed pets, treated them like they were real. And one day, uh, one of the pets, snack time the cat, snack time the cat got lost. Now, maybe we understand why snack time the cat got lost. And perhaps it's less getting lost as it is running away because she had to endure this. And she had to endure this. The indignity was palpable. And so snack time the cat fled. And daddy tried to explain that, you know, there's no shortage of cats. Like, you, you got to understand this, right? I mean, there's lots of cats. And this one being gone is sad, sure, but we can always get another cat, right? I mean, but if you know anything about little girls and their pets, what do you think? Would not have this, right? Because the little girl loves snack time, the cat. It would not hear anything about another cat if everything hadn't been done to go out and find snack time. And so signs went up on telephone poles and family went out and scoured the neighborhood and knocked on all of the neighbor's doors. And have you seen, have you seen the cat? We're looking for the cat and we, they did this neighborhood and then they moved to the next neighborhood and they moved to the next street over and they just searched and searched and searched and searched until finally... Snack time, the cat was found. And you would probably not be surprised at the joy, the overflowing joy that the little girl had for the cat now that the cat had been found. Even though she had all kinds of pets at home and she still loved all of those pets, but we had found the lost one. And she jumped for joy and sang for joy and and redecorated her with joy Because snack time, the cat, had been found. Jesus tells this story similarly, only he uses uh, something less cute, uh, sheep. Sheep are stinky um, animals. Uh, So we, we don't have sheep here today, but I imagine many of you have pets. And you know what it would be like to have one of them be lost. And the searches that go forward... Uh, to rescue this lost treasure, this lost cat. Jesus says, in explaining this story in verse 7 of Luke 15, he says, just so, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I want you to notice something important about this story and about these parables, that the character who does the seeking is God. God is the seeker of lost things. This is a very simple statement, but a weighty one, that God is the seeker of lost things. And Jesus orients his life, his ministry, all that he is about and all that he is doing towards that, towards the search for lost people. And before you think that I have gone soft and warm and fuzzy on a day like today, let me assure you, you are wrong. (laughs) This is not a warm, fuzzy message, though it is a powerful message. 
But for Jesus to orient his life towards seeking the lost is to say then that somebody is lost in need of repentance in order to be brought home. And this offends everybody. This is why Jesus offended everybody. Because I dare you to go out today and say, you know, I think you're a sinner who's lost and and you need to listen to this gospel and come home. See how far that gets you. Right? Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody likes to hear that. That is a striking, that cuts to the heart of someone. And on the same side, were that person to listen and to hear, and were you or God through you to draw that lost person into God's flock, I have found that God's flock is very suspicious of the people who come through their doors. We like to look at them, judge them, weigh them. Will they be like us? Will they be different than us? Do they have tattoos? Will they mess up? Do they maybe have some vices they have yet to Do they have doubts and questions? Are they not sure? Are they pressing back? We we look at those folks, and much like the Pharisees, we ask the question, Jesus, why would you spend time with them and not with us? And yet Jesus is the one who is out seeking. And so there is a deep sense, I think, of offense that continues to go through the gospel, even though, as I said, it is beautiful and powerful. Think of this story for just a second. The little girl with the cat or Jesus with the sheep, however you want to imagine it. What does the cat have to do? You ever try to pick up a cat? They're temperamental, right? They're likely to do one of two things before they let you pick them up. First is to bolt, right? And the second is to claw your hand to pieces, right? How frequently is that us? How frequently is that us? God reaches down to pick us up, to bring us home. And yet we run or we claw. Because there's something powerful, something important in letting God pick you up. There is a loss of freedom, there's a loss of control. I am setting my purpose, my destiny, I am doing my thing, and and I'm out there doing it. And yet, in order to allow God to bring us into his home, to bring us into his fold, to bring us into his mercy and his grace, it requires that we give up our control. And we say, thy will be done. And that is a very difficult thing. Whether you're sinner today or saint today, that is a very difficult thing. I find it difficult. I hope I'm not the only person in the room. I'll feel really lonely up here if that's the case. It is difficult. And yet that is the message of this gospel, of this word. It is graceful, it is beautiful, it is powerful, and it is life-transforming. And all of that is both wonderful and scary. I lose my keys Frequently, How often do I lose my keys? Every day. <laughs> Anybody else do that? Anybody else lose their keys? Thank you. This half of the room, like there was like all hands, this half of the room, nothing. Either they're asleep over here or this is the people that are organized. <laughs> I try to be organized. I really do. 
And so I think to myself, well, listen, I, I don't know where my keys are, and I, I, I frequently don't know where my wallet is. But if I put my keys and my wallet together, I will lose them both, which is what always happens. Where are my keys? I know they're with my wallet. That's not helping me anymore. And then I find that, that as soon as I've gone looking, I've gone on this search to find my keys and my wallet, and I have my phone in my hand, because I, I know I'll need to take that with me, but eventually I'll set that down somewhere. So I'll find my keys and my wallet. I, I don't remember where I set my phone down. So I go to the bedroom and I say, is it in here? No, it's, it's not in here. And I, I, I'll go into the, the kitchen. Is it on the counter? It's not on the counter. I go in the bathroom. It's not okay. Did I check the bedroom? Did I check the bedroom? I can't remember. I did, but I didn't look on the shelf. So I'll go and look at the bookshelf. And I'll search the house for these things, these three things, which for whatever reason are the most elusive things in my life. I don't know why they're the most elusive things in my life, but they are. And when I have finally got this unholy trinity together in my pockets, it is like, yes, (laughs) thank you. And the angels rejoice, or at least Lorraine does. Laura does too, because this whole time I've been shouting, where are my keys? She's like, did you check your pants? And I'm offended. I'm offended that she asked me to check my pants. Of course I checked my pants. I didn't really check my pants, but I'm still offended that she would think that I wouldn't assume to do that. Everyone in the house is joyful because the keys have been found, the wallet has been found, the phone has been found, and probably most importantly, daddy's leaving now. We understand the search for lost things. It is a regular part of our life. Jesus tells a story of a widow with coins, told the story of keys and wallet. The widow with coins is probably more powerful because this is all that she has. This is her life savings. And a big chunk of it has now gone missing. And that is you. A part of the life savings of God. And so the house is searched and the floor is swept and every nook and cranny is searched. And and it's searched so that finally when that coin is found, there can be joy. And Jesus says essentially the same thing here at the tail end of this verse in verse or this story in verse 10 as he said at the the story of the lost sheep in in verse 7, just so I tell you. Here he adds a a more particular dimension. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God. So this is the army, the host of heaven, the army of God. If you can imagine, you know, you've seen parades with maybe army people. And this this big, stoic, very strong looking. This is now angelic. It's celestial. It's much more brilliant, much more bright, much larger, much more impressive. And it says here, Jesus says here, that the finding of the lost person is of such immense joy that the armies of God are full of joy. Full of joy. Because God is a seeker of lost things. And being a seeker of lost things, and this is why I, we love this lullaby so much, uh, being a seeker of lost things that carries an implicit and important truth, you can always come home. You can always come home. 
It doesn't matter how far you have gone. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because you can always come home. This is a powerful truth that we need to hear. Those of us here who are not Christians, it is an appeal, a plea to you to hear and to come home. For those of you who are Christians, it's a plea and appeal to you to see who God is and to become like him. To become like him. This week as I wrestled with my pharisaical attitude, I knew in my brain that it was wrong. And yet my heart rebelled, my, my spirit rebelled, and I don't know what, where, the, where, this, where this judgmentalness was coming from, but I was just wrestling this thing down and pressing it under, saying this person is a lost person. This is a person who needs someone to sit at their table to hear their story and to listen so that through the listening, I would be able to hear how to offer to that person grace. That is our calling in Jesus Christ. That is our calling. It is not to judge the world. It is not to condemn the world. It is go and to seek the lost in the world, to sit at the table, to listen to the story, so that we might offer a word of grace that says you can come home. This is important to us here in Portage, here at ODCC. Because Portage approximately has 27,000 people in the city limits who do not claim Jesus Christ as Lord. That is 51%. 51% of your friends and neighbors as you go out and about in this city do not worship the one true and living God. That is an immense number. And this should lay upon our hearts two important things. First, to recognize that it is not about ODCC getting bigger. It is not about you putting new merit badges on your, your, your Jesus sash, right? It is not about you being right and them being wrong. It is first and foremost about this, the glory of God. That God would receive every word of praise, every ounce of obedience, every inch of glory that we, as the people who live in this place, in this time, have the capacity to offer. That, that God should receive glory from 27,000 people who do not either know his name or give him praise, and it is our task to find them and to share with them the immense power and responsibility, the grace and the glory of being the worshipers of God. That is what we are. That is why God has made us. That we might enjoy the life he has given and give him glory for it. We should be concerned that God is not receiving the glory that is due his name. Secondly, there are people who are lost. If Emery was lost, we, she was gone, I would 
call the police. And what would the police do? They would round up folks. I'd call the church. People would round up. And you, you, you make lines and you go walking through the woods behind our house and you'd have flashlights and you'd be screaming, you'd be shouting. There'd be a sense of desperation. There'd be a sense of panic. We have to rescue this little girl because she's lost. We would go without sleep. There would be tears. There would be concern. There would be prayers. There would be all sorts of energy devoted to this. There is somebody that is lost and we must Find her. That is the intensity of God's emotion to his world. And he is pleading with his church, fall in line. See, see, see these people for who they are. Made in the image of God. You are God's mission to them. You are God's mission to them. So for those of you who are Christians and you hear this, these stories and you recognize, you recognize that the reason you have been brought home is by the grace of the seeking God. That you would then hear that, see that, remember that in your own mind. Remember what God brought you from and say to yourself, I must seek as well. I must seek as well. And for those of you who are not Christians, I pray that you would hear the immense love and concern God has for you. That not only has Jesus come, not only has the Spirit come, but God has created a whole group of people. We call them church. Sometimes they're really good and sometimes we're really terrible. But God made us to reach out to you. And so the message again is this. You can always come home. Jesus tells a last story, probably one of the most famous stories in the New Testament. This is the story of the prodigal son, but I don't have sons. I have daughters, and so I think of daughters. And so if I told the story, it would go something like this. Little girl, two little girls, in fact. Because no matter how big they get, this is what I will remember, right? Right? The youngest of the two became quite a good little singer and dancer, and she was in school plays and sort of expanded. She kind of became somewhat of a rock star locally. A beautiful voice, wonderful. And she thought to herself, man, everybody loves me. I'm really amazing at this stuff. I could go to New York City, and I could be on Broadway. I could make it. I could make it. And People around her said, yeah, you could make it. You, you know, you could really do this thing. You could, be, you could be a star. You're so amazing at this. And really she was, really she was amazing. And so she goes to dad and mom and she says, listen, I know you've saved money for college. I know you've been scrimping and saving. I know you've been like hoarding this money so that you could send me off. But listen, give me that money so that I can go to New York City and I can make it. I know I can make it. You think I sing beautiful, don't you? Yeah, we know you sing beautifully. But listen, it's not, it's not as simple as all of that. You know, there, there's a lot of things. Going, no, and it, her ears were closed off to it. She wouldn't listen to anything. So they gave her the money. And off to New York City she went. And New York City was everything she dreamed. Not that podunk portage town with all their small-mindedness, right? The big city, skyscrapers, hip stuff. I don't even know what to call it because 
I don't know any hip stuff. But whatever hip people do in New York City, that's what she encountered. And it was marvelous. It was everything she dreamed. And slowly she began, as she went to these rehearsals, she went to these trials, she began to realize that it wasn't as easy as she thought. And that she needed to have friends in high places. So she began to use that money to go to parties and to buy things and to be a part of the scene. And people began to, you know, bring her in. Let her come in. Yeah, we'll let you come on in. You're spending money. Like, yeah, be a part of this. Be a part of the party. And she might got a few little bit parts here and there, but she realized that to get higher, she didn't have enough money for that. And the money started to dwindle. It started to go down and down and down and down and down until there was very little left. And then the friends dried up. And then the jobs dried up. And sadly, in our world, there is always work for young ladies who are desperate enough to do it. And so that is what she did upon the streets of New York. Surrounded by drugs and violence, she began to think, man, if I just take a little bit more of this, I won't wake up. And then she thought this thought. She said, man, I, my dad and mom used to sing this lullaby. You can always come home. And, and so maybe I could come home and I could live in the basement, you know, I could just, I could help out in the house. I could do, maybe they just, maybe they just let me come home for a little bit. And of course, she steals herself, takes a bus, gets home, and comes up the driveway. We're not even willing to look at the house. And the parents, of course, just burst through the door, just run and embrace her. She begins to apologize. She begins to say, I- I'll-, I'll do whatever you want. I'm really, and they just shush her with kisses and hugs and tears and say, don't even, don't even think about any of that. It is all gone. It meant nothing. It means nothing. We just are glad you're home. And they throw a party, such a party, Right? I mean, such a party. I mean, literally, I hand over the credit card to the caterers and I say, just let it rip. <laughs> and all of the friends come over and all of the church comes over and all of the people come over. And they fill the house and there's joy and there's, there's food and there's laughter and there's like, remember when you were this little, sticking your tongue out. Remember when all of this was going on. And as the evening goes on, Uh, a new car comes into the driveway, the older sister who was responsible, who took that money and she went to college and she got a good degree. She didn't waste that time. She's the good girl. She's the good girl. And she stops somebody and says, "What's, what's this commotion? What's this noise? What's going on here? They're like, your sister came home. Your sister came home and we're, we're celebrating. And she got mad. Why? Because her sister squandered everything, spit upon what her parents had done for her, weren't there at the times that her parents were sick and needed help. And she was there. She was there by herself, working, laboring to make sure that the family was taken care of while her brat sister was out in New York having a good time. And she wouldn't go in, just sat outside. Well, mom hears about this. You know how moms are, hear about things. Mom hears this, and she comes out, and she says, honey, what's wrong? And she says, when was the last time you gave me 50 bucks to buy pizza for my friends to come over? And here is our, my little sister who has done absolutely everything you told us never to do. And here you are throwing a party for her. 
the way Jesus tells it. Daughter, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it's fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for your sister was dead and is alive. She was lost, and now she's found. There is a particular malady amongst church folk similar to what we see in the older sister that think that if you work harder, God will love you more. And this is simply not the case. There is nothing that you can do, nothing you can labor at, nothing you can work for to bring God love to some sort of greater height than it has already been seen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as Emery and Esri could not do anything to bring more love out of me. Like it's already so intense that I'll say to her, Emery, I, you know daddy loves you, right? And she gets this, she doesn't even like look at me anymore. She's like, yeah, I know you tell me all the time. She's already got that like, sar- she's working on the teenage sarcasm. It's, I know you tell me all the time, and I tell you that all the time because I want you to know that no matter what you do, no matter how far you go, no matter what you fall into, you can always come home. You can always come home. And if you're a Christian here today, and you've already found yourself at home, I love what he says. He says, everything that's mine is yours already. It's yours. We as Christians sometimes are so stingy with the way that we even perceive the grace of and power and gifting of God. Jesus says, all that is mine is yours. You're already a part of the household, so what should you spend your time doing? Being a little more joyful, being a little more happy, being a little more excited that God, the God of all the universe, calls you son, calls you daughter, and that the God of all the universe has sent you forth to seek your lost brothers and sisters to reveal to them the great grace and power and forgiveness that you have received and to draw them home because we all belong at home we all belong at home and so to those of you today who have not come home I think of Jesus who said come to me all you who are heavy laden I will give you rest My yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. Because going home is often like that, right? Rest. I'm home. And you can feel it through your whole body. I'm home. If you're lost today, the word is this. Come and find rest. If you're found, the word is this. Go and seek and save that which is lost. Let's stand as we give praise and glory to God our Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit.